Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. A man and his wife were having some problems at home and were giving each other the silent treatment. Suddenly, the man realized that the next day he would need his wife to wake him up at 5 a.m. for an early business flight. Not wanting to be the first to uh, break the silence and look weak in the process, he wrote on a piece of paper to his wife, please wake me at 5 a.m. He left it on her bedside table. The next morning, he woke up and discovered that it was 9 a.m. and that he had missed his flight. Furious, he was about to confront his wife when he noticed a piece of paper on his bedside table. The paper said, it is 5 a.m., time to wake up. A husband celebrating his 50th anniversary, uh, wedding anniversary, when asked if he had ever considered divorce, said candidly, not divorce, never divorce, but murder, many times, never divorce. Marriage has been described as living in love with your best friend. But I think the following statement is equally true. Quote, marriage is like a game of cards. It starts with two hearts and a diamond and ends with clubs and a spade. Divorce rates have been on the rise for a while. A five-year-old survey tracking the average lifespan of marriages in Mexico, New York, Ottawa, Rome, Paris, Doha, and Tokyo put it at between five to 18 years. The lowest and highest figures belong to Doha and and, uh, Rome, respectively. Doha at at 5.5 years and Rome at 18 years. The divorce rates of the corresponding countries where these cities are located were between 15% in Mexico and 55% in France. What about Australia? In Sydney, marriages lasted on average 12 years, which was the national average as well. And Australia's divorce rate was 43% in 2019. Those aged between 25 to 20, uh, 29 years are the most vulnerable, peaking again when they are in their late 40s. After 55, couples are less likely to divorce. Now, those who've been married for nine years or less are also in the vulnerable group. However, the proportion of couples divorcing who had been married for 20 years or longer have been increasing in recent decades. In the 80s and 90s, the rate was 20%, but in 2017, it went up to 27%. Committed Christians are not exempted from divorce either, notwithstanding that they divorce at a much lower rate than the general population, according to one uh, one study. Five couples uh, Sue and I used to work with when we were in a missionary organization, have tragically divorced. So it is not difficult to understand why people may enter into marriage without any sense of it being a lifelong commitment or that such a commitment is unrealistic. People are understandably scared of getting married. Now, I could explain why polyamorous relationships are becoming normal and on the rise. Not surprisingly, marriages in Australia declined by 4.5% between 2018 
in 2019. So the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage is a very relevant one. We are going to explore what Jesus had to say about it as we continue our sermon series this morning on the book of Mark, found in chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. It is important that we remember that from Mark chapter 8, verse 27, all the way to Mark chapter 10, he's focusing on two themes, the suffering of Christ and discipleship, which Jesus sums up accordingly. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A disciple of Jesus, in short, is someone who takes so seriously the teachings of Christ he, he or she applies it absolutely to every single area of life, and this certainly includes marriage. This means our cue about marriage, our convictions, our understanding about marriage, divorce and remarriage must come from Jesus, not from what our culture and society say and condone. As Jesus begins to teach the crowds, the Pharisees ask him a question about divorce to test him. Verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, the word test has a malicious meaning. I think they were hoping that uh, Jesus would say something uh, that would antagonize and offend Herod Antipas in the same way John the Baptist did, who denounced his marriage who denounces divorce and remarriage to Herodias, the wife of his half-brother, Philip. For speaking out, John the Baptist was imprisoned and subsequently beheaded by Herod at the behest of Herodias. Remember, we're told early on in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, that the Pharisees had been plotting with the Herodians. These are supporters and sympathizers of Herod. Herod's cause. They've been plotting to kill Jesus. So the Pharisees' question, in other words, was a, was a trap. The question of, on divorce must be set in its ancient context for it to be appreciated fully. We can't look at the question through 21st century lens. You see, divorce in those days were affected not by courts, but by husbands. Wives had no power to end their marriage because they were legally the property of their husbands. The, the debate, therefore, at the time wasn't about whether divorce was lawful, but the legitimate grounds for it based on the stipulation in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, or in the Good News version, uh, Good News Bible version, or something about her he doesn't like. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, on and on and on. There were two competing schools of thought on what constituted justifiable ground for divorce. And it revolves largely around the interpretation of something indecent. The more conservative school insisted that the wife had to be guilty of sexual immorality before a husband could divorce her. The, liberal, uh, the more liberal school argued that the wife could be sent away simply 
for for if she did something that annoyed or displeased the husband, like burning his meal. Unsurprisingly, the popular and dominant view at the time was the latter. For Mark's original uh, readers in Rome, divorce was even more easy, formal, and frequent. In Roman society, in which men and women had equal rights of divorce, either spouse could divorce simply by leaving home. No justification was needed. Jesus typically answers their, answers their question with a question of his own. What did Moses command you? A strange question, given that Jesus already knew their question was in reference to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. But look carefully at Jesus' question. What did Moses command you? In asking the question, Jesus was trying to expose and challenge a fatal flaw in the Pharisees' whole approach to the law. They came at it looking for escape clauses. The Pharisees replied, saying that Moses permitted divorce, provided the husband issued his wife a certificate of divorce. In reply, Jesus said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Moses' provision assumed the time-honored practice of divorce in those days. And Moses tried only to regulate it by offering some protection from hardship for the innocent and vulnerable wives. A husband could no longer just get rid of his wife on a whim. He had to go to, uh, go to the trouble of getting a certificate of divorce drawn up, witness, and then formally presenting it to her. Garland explains, the legislation on divorce certificates protected wives from brutal abandonment. It freed a wife from the accusation of adultery when she, out of necessity, remarried. And it prevented the first husband from destroying her new marriage by trying to reclaim her. It deterred anything that might look like wife swapping. The law was therefore intended to keep the social upheaval associated with divorce to a minimum. In other words, Moses did not sanction divorce as God's will. He permitted it as a compromise to account for the hardness of human hearts and disregard for God's will and to limit the damage of divorce, which in many cases left women destitute. To underscore this point, he moves the discussion from the law of Moses to God's original blueprint and design for marriage as seen in creation. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Drawing from Genesis 1 verse 27 and Genesis 2 24, Jesus affirms God's ideal and design for marriage, that it is to be an intimate, complementing, lifelong, and permanent union between a man and a woman. To the Pharisees' question is 
divorce lawful? Jesus' answer is crystal clear. No, absolutely not. Marriage is not a temporary romantic dalliance that a husband or wife could undo whenever it becomes hard and inconvenient. Arguing for the permanence of marriage rather than accusing persons of adultery, Jesus later said to his disciples in Mark chapter 10, verses 11 to 12, who had asked him in private for further clarification. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces a husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. He's also saying something else. Again, if we read these verses through 21st century eyes, we will miss how unparalleled Jesus' teaching was at the time that a husband who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. You see, according to Jewish law, a wife commits adultery against her husband by having relations with another man. A man, whether married or otherwise, commits adultery against another man by having relationship with that man's wife or by seducing that man's daughter. But a man who is unfaithful to his wife is not guilty of committing adultery against her. Jesus' teaching greatly elevated the status of women and wives and women in general. It sent a strong message that a wife was not the property of a husband, but bone of one's bone and flesh of one's flesh in accordance to the divine creation pattern in Genesis 1 and 2. She's not an appendage, a thing that a husband can discard at will, but an equal and precious partner to be loved and cherished in a permanent covenant relationship. Jesus' argument against divorce would have shocked his audience. So let me uh, sum up what I understand is Jesus' teaching on marriage, uh, divorce, and remarriage based on Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. The first is this. God's ideal and design for marriage is that it is to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Marriage vows are never to be taken lightly. Marriage vows are never to be taken lightly. The sanctity of marriage means divorce is a sin and should be the absolute last option only after all attempts are exhausted to heal and restore the marriage relationship. God hates divorce. Why? Why does he hate divorce? Well, because divorce is painful, traumatic, and harmful. A colleague of mine uh, told me about his brother who suffered third-degree burns to his face and body in an accident. He was in agony and a lot of pain. He survived and was slowly recovering when his wife decided to divorce him. You know what he said to my colleague? Matt, that's my colleague's name. Matt, I've been in so much agony and pain from my burns. But it is nothing compared to the agony and pain from being divorced. 
and let his words sit with us for a bit. The pain of divorce, the agony of divorce was much more intense than the pain and agony of suffering third degree burns. Piper is right when he said, death is usually clean pain. Divorce is dirty pain. Divorce is traumatic and harmful for children too. Kelly Clarkson, the first winner of American Idol and a successful singer, saw her parents divorce when she was only six years of age. It scarred her for life. She acknowledges that she fears betrayal. When it comes to certain parts of my life, she said, I won't allow myself to be vulnerable at all. I have a lot of trust issues. I don't let many people in. She says making a relationship work requires too much effort. Love is something you work at. It doesn't come easily. There are going to be bad days. You are going to have to work at loving someone when they're being an idiot. People think they're just going to meet the right person, uh, going to meet Mr. or Miss Right. She laughs. Don't be ridiculous. Her hit song, Because of You, is a reflection on the pain and fallout of divorce. She did marry eventually in 2013, but only after seven years of marriage, in which they have a, a daughter and a son, seven and five years old respectively, they both file for divorce and, it's and the divorce is becoming nasty. And you wonder if the cause of the divorce is due to the fact that he, she experienced her parents being divorced when she was six. Remember earlier comments about trust issues, trouble and, and letting people in. It's interesting. How about this poem penned by a little girl titled Monster? The monster's here, the monster's there. The monster is just everywhere in my milk, in my tea. Doesn't it ever think of me? Mom's here, dad's there, and I'm just not anywhere. How can I say this without any divorce, without any force? The monster is called divorce. The second point is this. While God does not condone divorce, he recognizes the reality of divorce due to the hardness of human hearts. Fail marriages are reality, and many factors contribute to this. For one, sexual immorality or marital unfaithfulness, which is cited in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 11, a passage that parallels the, uh, the passage in Mark that we've been looking at. In such an event, Jesus says divorce is permitted, but it doesn't mean this is what we should do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 11, we're given another alternative, separation. Now, the exception clause uh, in, in Matthew 19 should not be viewed as the final word on the matter either. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, Paul permits divorce in a scenario where an unbelieving spouse wants to divorce 
uh, his or her Christian spouse. This being the case, how can we then insist that a person should remain in an abusive relationship in a vain attempt to fulfill God's ideal that has already been violated in this abusive relationship? As Garland asserts, encouraging an abused spouse to continue the relationship has been shown to promote further abuse rather than to confront the sin and correct it. Sometimes divorce is the best medicine for confronting individuals with the reality of their sin. Divorce, says Jesus, occurs because of the sclerosis of the heart. What this means is, number one, all of us are vulnerable to the sin of divorce. No exceptions. Even if you've been married for a long time, you're vulnerable. Therefore, we must spare no expense in taking active measures to care, to maintain, and to nurture our, our marriage, no matter how long we've been married. It is the most valuable and the most important human relationship you have if you're married. Don't ignore warning signs in your marriage. Face them honestly. Face them head on. Don't sweep them under the carpet. Confess your sins to one another. Learn to say sorry. Pray together. Date regularly. Do whatever it takes to ensure your marriage stays healthy, including counseling if that is what you need. The sclerosis of the heart means, number two, people who are not divorced are not necessarily in a healthy relationship. Let me repeat that. People who are not divorced are not necessarily in a healthy relationship. How many couples do you know whose marriage uh, whose marriages are cold and loveless, filled with hate and anger, but they're still together. So, and I know, certainly know of, of, of a couple. And some do this because they don't know what else to do. They're stuck. But others do it, particularly Christians, you know. They do it thinking that they're honoring God by not divorcing one another. They need to see they're actually dishonoring God. They may not be divorced legally, but they're falling short of God's will, as certainly as couples who legally divorce. They have nothing, nothing whatsoever to be self-righteous about. Third, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. People who have divorced are no different from any other sinners in that there is forgiveness, there is hope, there is restoration, there is the promise of redemption for them as much as any other sinner. That is why it is tragic and incomprehensible that we as the church have been so poor in the way we treat uh, people who are divorced, as people have been shown mercy by God, we ought to be the ones best equipped, best situated to help restore them. For this reason, to the question whether a, a person can remarry, 
I honestly believe that they ought to be given a second chance at marriage. Most certainly. As Garland explains so well, this does not mean that the slate is wiped clean, particularly when children are involved. One cannot dismiss the failure of the past, but it, but it, it need not rule over us or prevent us from beginning anew in the grace of God. I love that. We will do well to remember that when Jesus spoke about divorce and remarriage, he was responding to Pharisees who were hostile and malicious with their question. He was not addressing folks who had experienced failed marriages, but if he had, we can be confident that, as, that he would have been wise, forgiving, gentle, and embracing with his response, just like he did with a woman caught in adultery or, to the, or his response to the Samaritan woman who had broken out with five husbands and was living with a man, not her husband. The following comment I'm about to make is not deduced from the passage, but to people who have divorced, I would strongly advise and encourage them to prioritize making time to humbly reflect on the failure of their first marriage or their second for that matter, and learn as much as they can, glean as much as they can from those failures, get their stuff dealt with as much as possible before contemplating remarriage. The failure to do this, I believe, will most likely mean that history will repeat itself. In the face of divorce becoming more frequent as the go-to option, our culture's indifference to the marriage vow and thumbing down on the, uh, on the notion of marriage being for, for, for life, Christians need to take a stand. However, we need to do it in such a way where we're neither lenient nor harsh on the sin of divorce. We need to strongly and clearly stress God's will for marriage, but we must also be compassionate, gracious, and wise in how we respond to people who are feeling bruised, broken, shamed, and condemned because they're either contemplating divorce or they have divorce. God hates divorce, but he does not hate the person who has divorce. They need to know God's forgiveness of their sin and God's acceptance of them. Whatever the, whatever, uh, the specifics and issues are, when we address them, our goal is to come alongside of these individuals and help them decide which is least evil while not pretending that evil is good. Can I say with humility before I conclude that Sue and I are grateful to God for the gift of 31 years of a fulfilling married life on the 1st of September. And there are many couples in our church who have been contently married to one another for the same length of time or more, like the two Smiths, Jim and Helen, Craig and Jackie, the Browns, the Rogers, the Hussies, the Stramatis, I think, the Youngs. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom. 
great, fulfilling, and lasting marriages are possible. For application this week, this is what I like us to do, to pray, to pray, to pray. Let's set time aside this week to pray for all married couples in our church with or without children, that God will continue to bless them with wisdom, counsel, and direction, and correction. And it would be the same for the following prayer points as we Consider praying for married couples uh, you know who are struggling in their marriage. Uh, Spend time praying for those who are in the process of getting a divorce or divorce. Pray for the children involved. Uh, Pray for those who are considering remarriage that you know of. And lastly, uh, spend a moment praying for those who have remarried. God will bless their marriages. Let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Let's bow our heads together in our hearts. Amen. Lord, we uphold uh, those people in our lives uh, who are married. We uphold, uphold them before you. We ask that you might bless them with your ongoing wisdom, with the ongoing counsel and direction and correction. Give them grace to humble themselves before one another, to say sorry, to to work things through and not sweep things under the carpet. We pray for married couples who are struggling in their marriage, Lord. We pray that they might have the courage to see counselors, that employing the services of a counselor or a psychologist is not weakness, but strength. Uh, for those, Lord, who, uh, for, for married couples whose, whose marriages, whose relationships are in trouble, but they're not willing to face them, give them courage to face the music, to see the state of their relationship for, for what it is rather than what they'd like it to be. We pray for those, Lord, who are in the process of getting a divorce. We know divorces can get really nasty and messy. We pray that you would give them strength today. Give them, give them your comfort today. Give them your wisdom today. Help them, Lord, not retaliate. I understand that, 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 that it feels completely natural and understandable to want to retaliate, but it only makes things worse. Lord, we pray for these divorces uh, to, 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 be, to, to go through expeditiously, Lord, that it won't get any worse than what it already is. And for those who are divorced in our lives, those that we know who are divorced in our lives or in our congregation, we pray for healing, ongoing healing for them and, and, and instruction. We pray for the children who are involved. Pray for your healing for them, for your protection over them as well. Lord, we pray for those who are considering remarriage. Lord, help them weigh up the pros and cons, help them really uh, not base their decision on their emotions, but Lord, to, to, to seek counsel, uh, to, to weigh up the counsel of, of their loved ones, Lord, to not uh, go into remarriage with their, with their eyes closed uh, and with their emotions on a high. Oh, stop them from doing that, we pray. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those who have remarried. Uh, Lord, that you bless their unions. 
And Lord, you will enrich their relationships and their marriage, uh, enrich their relationship and their marriage. Thank you, Lord. Continue to speak to us about this and, uh, and continue to use us to be agents of healing and, and reconciliation uh, in, in couples that need that. And those, Lord, who, who, are, who are divorced, that you use us to restore them, that you will use us to be your compassionate voice, your affirming voice, that they are not condemned, but loved and accepted and approved by you. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I hope that, uh, that the Lord uh, has used the message to speak to you and uh, pray God's blessing upon all of you. And I hope that this is the last time, uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but let's hope that the, uh, that the lockdown will end and that we will be able to gather in person again. Um, have a great week. God bless. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.